This podcast is a production of WCWP, LIU Post Public Radio. Check out our lineup of original programs, listen live, or support by visiting WCWP.org. This is Anand Nigala, and I will be your host for the Letter of Liberty podcast, where we welcome guests to discuss literature, liberty, politics, news, and potentially all that is under the sun. Unfortunately, I'm not sure if we will have a guest today, so I think it will be best to focus on a recent speech by Emma Gonzalez, a senior at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, addressing a gun control rally on Saturday in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, days after a gunman entered her school in nearby Parkland and killed 17 people. I'll be reading a full transcript of her speech, and then I will ask some questions and address some of the concerns she raises. We haven't already had a moment of silence in the House of Representatives, so I would like to have another one. Thank you. Every single person up here today, all these people should be home grieving. But instead, we are up here standing together because of all our government and president can do is send thoughts and prayers. Then it's time for victims to be in charge to be the charge that we need to see. Since the time of the Founding Fathers and since they added the Second Amendment to the Constitution, our guns have developed at a rate that leaves me dizzy. The guns have changed, but our laws have not. We certainly do not understand why it should be harder to make plans with friends or weekends than to buy automatic or semi-automatic weapon. In Florida, to buy a gun, you do not need a permit. You don't need a gun license, and when you buy it, you do not need to register it. You do not need a permit to carry a concealed rifle or shotgun. You can buy as many guns as you want at one time. I read something very powerful to me today. It was from the point of view of a teacher, and I quote, When adults tell me I have a right to own a gun... All I can hear is my right to own a gun outweighs your student's right to live. All I hear is mine, 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 mine. Instead of worrying about our AP Government Chapter 16 test, we have to be studying our notes to make sure that our arguments based on politics and political history are watertight. The students at the school have been having debates on guns for what it feels like our entire lives. AP Government had about three debates this year. Some discussions on the subject even occurred during the shooting while students were hiding in the closets. The people involved right now, those who were shooting, those who were there... Those posting, those tweeting, those doing interviews and talking to people are being listened to for what feels like the very first time on this topic that has come up over 1,000 times in the past four years alone. I found out today that there's a website, ShootingTracker.com. Nothing in the title suggests that it is exclusively tracking in the USA shootings, and yet does it need to address that? Because Australia had one mass shooting in 1999 in Port Arthur and after the massacre introduced gun safety, and it hasn't had one since. Japan has never had a mass shooting. Canada has had three, and the UK has one, and they both introduced gun control, and yet here we are with websites dedicated to reporting these tragedies so they can be formulated into statistics for your convenience. I watched an interview this morning and noticed that one of the questions was, do you think your children will have to go through other school shooter drills? And our response is that our neighbors will not have to go through other school shooter drills. When we've had our say with the government, and maybe the adults have gotten used to saying it is what it is, but if us students have learned anything, it's that if you don't study, you will fail. And in this case, if you actively do nothing, people continually end up dead. So it's time to start doing something. It goes on for a while. 
We are going to be the kids you read about in textbooks, not because we're going to be another statistic about mass shooting in America, but because just as David said, we are going to be the last mass shooting. Just like Tinker versus Des Moines, we are going to change the law. That's going to be Marjorie Stoneman Douglas in the textbook, and it's going to be due to the tireless effort of the school board, the faculty members, the family members, and most of all, the students. The students who are dead, the students still in the hospital, the students now suffering PTSD, the students who had panic attacks during the vigil because the helicopters would not leave us alone, hovering over the schools 24 hours a day. There is one tweet I would like to call attention to. So many signs that the Florida shooter was mentally disturbed, even expelled for bad and erratic behavior. Neighbors and classmates knew he was a big problem, must always report such instances to authorities again and again. We did time and time and again. Since he was in middle school, it was no surprise to anyone who knew him to hear that he was the shooter. Those talking about how we should not have ostracized him. You didn't know this kid. Okay, we did. We knew that they were claiming mental health issues, and I am not a psychologist, but we need to pay attention to the fact that this was not just a mental health issue. He would have not harmed that many students with a knife. And how about we stop blaming the victims for something that was the students' fault, the fault of the people who let him buy the guns in the first place, those at the gun shows, the people who encouraged him to buy accessories for his guns, to make them fully automatic, the people who didn't take them away from him when they knew he was expressed homicidal tendencies. And I'm not talking about the FBI. I'm talking about the people he lived with. I'm talking about the neighbors who saw him outside holding guns. If the president wants to come up to me and tell me to my face that it was a terrible tragedy and how it should never have happened and maintain telling us how nothing is going to be done about it, I'm going to happily ask him how much money he received from the National Rifle Association. You want to know something? It doesn't matter because I already know. $30 million. And divided by the number of gunshot victims in the United States in the one and one half months in 2018 alone, that comes to being $5,800. Is that how much these people are worth to you, Trump? If you don't do anything to prevent this from continuing to occur, that number of gunshot victims will go up at the number that they are worth will go down. And we will be worthless to you. To every politician who's taking donations from the NRA, shame on you. Crowd chance. Shame on you! It's your money was as threatened as us. Would your first thought be, how is this going to reflect on my campaign? Which should I choose? Or would you choose us? And if you answered us, will you act like it for once? You know what would be a good way to act like it? I have an example of how to not act like it. In February 2017, one year ago, President Trump repeated an Obama-era regulation that would have made it easier to block the sale of firearms to people with certain mental illnesses. Okay, just a short interruption. I think this is a little hysterical misinterpretation, but I'll get back to that later. If not in this episode, then at another time. So I'll continue reading. From the interactions that I had with the shooter before the shooting, and from the information that I currently know about him, I don't really know if he was mentally ill. I wrote this before I heard what Delany said. Delany said he was diagnosed. I don't need a psychologist, and I don't need to be a psychologist to know that repealing that regulation was really dumb idea. Republican Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa was the sole sponsor on this bill that stops the FBI from performing background checks on people adjudicated to be mentally ill, and now he's standing for the record. Well, it's a shame that the FBI isn't doing background checks on these mentally ill people. Well, duh, you took that opportunity away last year. The people in the government who voted into power are lying to us, and us kids seem to be the only ones who notice and our parents to call bullshit. Companies trying to make caricatures of the teenagers these days, saying that all we are self-involved and trend-obsessed and they hush us into submission when our message doesn't reach the ears of the nations. We are preparing to call BS. Politicians who sit 
in their gilded house and senate seats funded by the NRA telling us nothing could have been done to prevent this. We call BS. They say tougher guns laws do not decrease gun violence. We call BS. They say a good guy with a gun stops a bad guy with a gun. We call BS. They say guns are just tools like knives that are as dangerous as cars. We call BS. They say no laws could have prevented the hundreds of senseless tragedies that have occurred. We call BS. That us kids don't know what we're talking about, that we are too young to understand how the government works. We call BS. If you agree, register to vote. Contact your local Congress people. Give them a piece of your mind. Throw them out! I just imitated some of the crowd chants I have seen on the CNN transcript. So that was a fascinating speech. It was very emotional and very from the heart. I And I didn't see a lot of logical arguments here, but maybe that wasn't the point. Maybe the point was to evoke the emotions, to evoke the spirit of, we need to change now because we can't take this anymore. We do not want to see more shootings. I don't think anybody wants to see more shootings. I don't think even the NRA wants to see more shootings. And I wonder if the speech is dangerously suggesting that it does. And I think that would be a very bad demagoguery. And of course, I'm looking at the various headlines, and a lot of the people are praising the speech as starting a new revolution, perhaps. I think a professor of mine argued that it might start a civil rights movement similarly to the civil rights movement because people are hurt and they want to do something about it. And I already see a Guardian article headline saying, how right-wing media is already attacking Florida Treen speaking out. Of course, I've seen some people arguing that these are staged actors, crisis actors. I don't think that's the case. Maybe I have to check more into this, what they're arguing for, why they're supposedly crisis actors. I'm not sure. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I tend to see that they are personally affected, and they see gun control as the solution to their problems, that they won't have to go through school shootings. And even if the shooter had a knife instead, he might not kill as many people. That may be true. But at the same time, I'm not ready to go into that position where I would regulate all the guns or ban certain weapons. And because I personally believe that you have the right to own whatever you want, drugs, alcohol, guns, and I don't think it should, your, whatever you want to possess should be regulated on that basis. So that's my personal reason for supporting the right to own things like assault weapons, aka fully automatic weapons, as well as guns from the AR family. But more on that in a future podcast. And of course, as the Guardian article notes, I'm looking into that and I see another approach of the right-wing media perhaps was to find individual survivors of this massacre who did not happen to support the call from a large number of their classmates for gun control. The Daily Wire managed to find a pro-gun majority Marjorie Stoneman student who accused the media of politicizing the massacre to talk about gun control. Glenn Beck's outfit, The Blaze, did their best to extract criticism of the FBI, not Trump, for one student's CNN interview. And then there is a reference to the Washington Times, Columbine survivor, and Colorado Republican Patrick Neville, who wants to remove restrictions on concealed carry in K-12 schools. And then his thoughts were disseminated by Breitbart and other outlets. And I tend to personally be on the side of those who argue against gun control, who argue for arming teachers, but not forcing the teachers to own weapons, and those who have, in some ways, even suggested training the students to defend themselves and to even like learn how to use weapons because in the past schools tended to use that as far as I know I'll have to check more into the details about that but I think they did have rifle ranges and ways for legitimate use of weapons and I think maybe that might help but that is like, but then again I am of the opinion that some things we can't find a short-term solution and 
the best we can do is prevent whatever we can and face whatever comes to us. That's the best thing. I don't know if uh, gun control as a preventative measure would work, especially in a country with a lot of guns here. And if it ever did work, I think it worked best where they didn't have such a tradition of private firearms ownership and maybe the culture is not as conducive to violence as in Japan. And I'm not entirely sure of all the fine arguments in defense of gun control, but I see a lot of emotion in it. And there's nothing wrong with having emotions to argue to save lives, to find ways to prevent these mass shootings. There's nothing wrong with emotions, but I tend to see a problem when that's your only recourse of argument. And I'm sure there are statistics people use to argue for gun control, like, see all the other countries, they don't have all this violence. But at the same time, what do we do? I mean, forgive me, it's a little freewheeling. I haven't prepared a lot of notes for this. I was hoping for a guest, and she was not able to come right now, so I decided to do this last minute. And of course, there's the argument that there is an epidemic of gun violence, and then I'm new, now moving to an article that argues that the market, the free market, can do much better than any government-proposed solution of gun control or similar. And Jeff Deist, president of the Ludwig von Mises Institute, he has this to say, There is no epidemic of gun violence in America, quite the opposite in fact. But last week's shooting at a high school in Florida was a grim and jarring reminder of deep cultural problems lurking just beneath the veneer of our materially comfortable society. Those problems are beyond the scope of libertarianism per se, because this is a libertarian podcast, it deals with liberty. But again, we see that greater liberty will require a renaissance in civil society. Nihilism and hopelessness among any segment of the population is far more dangerous than assault rifles. And I do tend to see a hopelessness. I think we all have some of it in our lives and in our mindsets. The less we are governed internally, the more we invite external governments from the society. And he brings up the point that I already brought up, that millions of guns already exist in American households and gun control might not work as it might seem to work in Europe. And even if the people decided to turn over their guns to the police, I don't think that will go to the surface, especially if we consider criminals who will never turn their guns in and who will still use them in criminal fashion and will kill innocent people and they will continue to defy the laws that are instituted. And of course, this speech, among other things, points to a great national division among many other things. America is really divided. I don't know if it's more divided than the times of the Civil War where there actually was a split. But at the same time, I would think that there is some truth to the argument that we are more divided than ever in history, besides, of course, the Civil War times. And then another solution I could suggest is like federalism, where Manhattan and Montana might have different perspectives here, and they can do whatever they want without Congress. And then Contrary to popular belief, according to Jeff Dice, the Second Amendment neither federalized gun laws nor created a right to private ownership of firearms and simply enshrined the notion that the people need to be armed to defend themselves, potentially against the state itself. And I agree, we don't need a constitution to recognize that all humans have an innate and pre-existing right to self-defense pre-existing before they were born. Of course, I mean, people might decide to put that into a document of law as a decision, And to make that right effective, especially for weaker members of society, tools must be employed. And these guns are simply tools. And so I'm not with Emma Goldman, who argues that to say that is BS. I think guns are tools. They could be a dangerous tool. They are a dangerous tool when used wrongly. 
and even more rightfully when you have to defend yourselves against a violent criminal who is attacking you, it can be dangerous, but in a good sense. And inanimate objects, these things cannot be imbued with innate qualities of good or evil, I agree, albeit I'm not entirely sure when it comes to nuclear weapons, I think that those types of weapons are pretty evil in a sense, but back to the argument. The right to own guns flows naturally from self-ownership and our bod- of our bodies, and consequently the right to own property we homestead or first use. In the Lockean principle, the Lockean principle of John Locke, the philosopher who argued that property rights come when we first use something or first homestead something, a field or an apple or whatnot. And I want to come to the idea of arming teachers and other personnel to carry weapons on campus. I mean, that's one solution. A broader libertarian program, according to Jeff Deist, is to have most people armed, at least potentially armed, to create a safer, not to mention more polite society. If we cannot snap our fingers and produce crime-free cities and neighborhoods where nobody needs to carry a gun, then at least we will allow everyone to ability to dissuade or defend against criminal shooters. And of course, this is a good idea. But then again, Jeff Dice points that the market impulses to outsource the services to specialists, like to professional security people, like what neighborhoods do at times, and even when celebrities hire professional bodyguards, I think this is a potentially good solution from the market to hire security to help you out. And not everyone wants to or needs to carry a gun or train themselves in gun proficiency, but the individual should decide this, not the government. And then there's the issue of scale, where individuals might find themselves arrayed against organized criminal gangs, and that is a legitimate problem. So I think the solution is not gun control, where the individuals are not allowed to own anything, but a solution where individuals can freely hire someone out to protect them if need be. And this ultimately brings me to this point. I mean, why are we relying on the government to do this? Why aren't we relying on ourselves? We have the power to do what we can. We have the power to rely on each other, to rely on ourselves, to protect ourselves. And why are we relying on the government to regulate our own lives? Of course, I've heard people argue that the government's role is to protect us, and this is a very common view and it's a view that's not going to go away anytime soon in the foreseeable future. But at the same time, I think we should consider relying on ourselves. In a sense, that's all I have to say. So this is Anand Venegala of the Letter of Liberty. Tune in next time for our next guest and for our next topic. Thank you. Like what you hear? Here's how you can let us know. Give us a call at 516-299-2626 or email us at info at wcwp.org. Like us at facebook.com slash mywcwp and leave a comment or tweet us at mywcwp. We welcome all kinds of feedback. To directly support the podcast you just enjoyed, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to give back, visit wcwp.org and click the support tab. Thanks for listening from your friends at WCWP.